Hello and welcome to the Third Sector Podcast. I'm Alina Martin. And I'm Lucinda Rouse. We're reporters at Third Sector, the UK's leading publication for the voluntary and not-for-profit sector. In this episode, we'll be talking to Ian McQuillan about the ethics of accepting donations from various sources. And in the Good News Bulletin later, we'll be talking about a moonlit owl flying display, which is aiming to help audiences beat the January blues. But first, we wanted to talk about a story from last week reported by our colleague Steve Downs, which prompted us to dedicate this week's episode to exploring the issue of tainted money and how charities can best address their dubious historical connections without cutting back on the services they can deliver today. Yes, this was the news that the Church Commissioners of England, one of the country's biggest charities, has pledged to invest £100 million in projects to address its shameful past, by which it means the charity's historic involvement with the transatlantic slave trade. The Church of England's £10.1 billion Perpetual Endowment Fund has part of its origins in Queen Anne's Bounty, which had significant investments in the South Sea Company, the joint stock company responsible for transporting approximately 34,000 African slaves in its 30 years history. The Church of England has acknowledged its links and it has put together a plan to make reparations. Yes, and the Church Commissioner's Board says it will use the £100 million to establish an impact investment fund for communities affected by historic slavery, among other initiatives over the next nine years. This is clearly a big development, both in terms of the admission of the Church of England's involvement, but also the scale of the funds being allocated to addressing the connection to slavery. The charity has resources available which others could only dream of, plus they have more freedom on how they can spend their money in terms of their alignment to a specific charitable purpose. Now it's time to welcome our guest for this week. Ian McQuillan is the founder and director of the fundraising think tank Regare. With over two decades of experience in the sector, he is a specialist in fundraising ethics and has devised theories, including anti-donation theory and rights balancing fundraising ethics. Hello, Ian. Hello. We will divide this discussion into two sections, um, considerations around acceptance or refusal of funds and also considerations around when charity might like to think about paying them back. Um, Shall we start with the reparations side of things? Um, What in your view are the big considerations that need to be made when thinking about paying back money after you've spent it? You're asking this question I think in the context of the Church of England recently announcing in the context of uh, making reparational payments after uncovering their links to the slave trade. And I think the thing about the Church of England is, and in their case, it is such a big charity with such broad charitable objectives that almost anything that it does will fit within its charitable objectives. And it also actually isn't returning any donations to any people, any donors. It's actually using the money it has to further its own charitable objectives. As I said, they are really broad. So I think with a lot of other charities, they may not be able to so easily be able to do what the Church of England has done. There may be limitations about how they can spend their money within their charitable objectives. And so I think the first thing that you need to think about is what is your legal position? And the other thing I think, you know, whether it is going to be quite easy, feasible to be able to do anything to make amends for any historical perceived wrongdoing around tainted money. 
And then the other thing that is really, really important and is always an ethical consideration with any ethical decisions um, regarding fundraising, anything with charities, is what is going to be the effects on your current set of beneficiaries and the people that rely on you now. And whether anything that you do to rectify harms done in the past will also have harms for current generations or anything in the future. Ethics is always a balancing act between your duties to different kinds of stakeholders. So that is a very, very important and relevant consideration. And personally, I've just recently been introduced to the theory behind acceptance and refusal within the ethics of fundraising. So for our listeners and for me as well, could you briefly explain the distinction between reasons to refuse versus good reasons not to accept a donation? The first thing here is that every charity should have a gift acceptance and refusal policy if you haven't got one of those. And I'm sure you'll be talking later about what what advice, what guidance we can give to charities. And that's got to be grounded in sound ethics and sound regulation. And the Chartered Institute of Fundraising produces um, some really good guidance about when you can and can't accept and refuse a donation or when you can refuse a donation. There are only some specific times uh, and and contexts when you really ought to be turning donations down. So one of those is that it comes from an illegal source. The other one is that it conflicts with your mission. So the classic case here is that, you know, the cancer charity and and a tobacco company, there's a clear conflict with the mission that might harm what the charity does in future. But then it's whether you've got any reputational risks. So whether if you accepted this donation, would it lead to loss of donations, loss of volunteers and loss of staff for which you have to evidence that you can't just say that you assume it, you need to try and show some kind of evidence that it would have this reputational risk. Now, I think what happens a lot of the time is that charities will start by looking at whether they can find a reason to refuse a donation. So they're looking at it from the, from the perspective of refusing a donation. We've got something that might be from a dubious source. We're not sure, but let's see if we can look for a reason why we can refuse this. And if you go looking for a reason not to do something, you will find one. You will find a reason to turn it down. It needn't necessarily be a very good reason, but you will find a reason, and that casts doubt in your mind. Whereas I think the best gift acceptance policies start from a different perspective. They start from the position that we will accept the donation unless we can find good reasons to overturn our decision to accept it. So that's the difference between approaching it from a perspective of acceptance or refusal. And it's the same questions, it's the same data, it's the same evidence, the same arguments, but because you start from a different position, you may get a different outcome. So If you're looking for a decision to refuse, a particular set of circumstances may give you justification for not accepting the donation in the first place. But if you've started at the position that we will accept the donation, those same things may not be strong enough for you to overturn a decision to accept. So I would say start from the position that you will accept a donation unless you found very strong, good ethical reasons based on the CRS guidance to turn it down. And you mentioned briefly the need to factor in service users and beneficiaries into your decision making around whether or not you accept or refuse or even give back a donation. Could you elaborate on that a little bit further and how can charities make sure that they maintain that at the forefront when they might be faced with a dilemma? 
Well, this really goes into the question of kind of a lot of fundraising ethics, where a lot of the time our ethics is all predicated upon um, how it affects donors, doing right for the donors, how we make donors feel. And beneficiaries traditionally have been hidden or removed from our ethical thinking, which is strange, really, because the whole reason charities exist is to do good, to do right by the donors. So they really should be our primary ethical stakeholder. So when it comes to the decision to accept or refuse donations the question always has to be and it's not it doesn't have to be the deciding factor because it doesn't mean that just because you can use the money to do good therefore that overrides all other considerations but it has to be a material consideration you have to be thinking if we accepted this money however large however small can we do good with this and does the good that we will do with this money on behalf of our beneficiaries outweigh or countermand any harms that might also be done to our reputation and also to the to the beneficiaries themselves? If, for instance, as the COF guidance says, if accepting this donation would lead to loss of donations further down the line. So all of those considerations, does it harm our charity? Does it lead to a loss of donations? These are all ultimately about how these things affect our beneficiaries, which is why we do this in the first place. So with that in mind, what kind of guidance is available to charities? charity managers considering these issues at the moment? Well, the Charlton Institute of Fundraising guidance on acceptance of refusal is very good. I don't think it's perfect. I think there are there are some flaws in that, but that is a really, really good place to start. And also the thing about, as we were talking about returning donations, um, you have to get, in England and Wales, you need the Charity Commission's permission to return or to make what is called an ex gratia payment. Uh, I've got, I'm going to read this because I'm going to say exactly what an ex gratia payment is. It's a, so this is a payment that's not in line with your charitable objectives. So it's where the trustees believe they are under a moral obligation to make the payment, but they're not under any legal obligation to payment and they can't justify it as being in the best interest of the charity. So returning a donation under any circumstances is you might have a moral obligation to do it, but you're not under any legal obligation. And also giving donations away is not in the best interest of the charity. So the Charity Commission guidance on excratia payments, which you can easily find online, is very relevant. And also, yeah, I've heard people when talk about ethics and the stuff that Regari does, and they say, oh, it's all too theoretical. But ethics is theory. I mean, you don't have an ethics engine that you come along and tinker with the nuts and bolts and it makes the answer for you. All ethics is done on paper. It's all about theory. So I would also say that, you know, you need to dig into the theoretical aspects of ethics because that is what powers your ethical decision-making processes. And those processes are just processes. They can't make the decision for you. You, the ethically literate fundraiser, has to put the right information into it and interpret the information that comes out. So the the policies don't make the decision for you. You have to make the decision. So that's why you have to understand all the ethics behind it. Mm. And I mean, I think from the surface, it seems very difficult to be able to justify why giving money back and therefore depriving your operation of much needed funds can be seen as a good thing for your beneficiaries. But as you say, it can affect future donations, beneficiaries themselves, if you're talking about a tobacco company giving to a lung cancer charity. But can you think of any examples of times where giving a donation back has perhaps been justified? Well, you've got to think is what is the justification for giving it back? So the really interesting case about whether you should return donations or not was with the President's Club um, scandal from January 2018, five years ago. 
And for your listeners that aren't familiar like that, there was a big fundraising dinner done by this charitable trust. It was infiltrated by an undercover reporter from the Financial Times. And the events company that hired women to act as waitresses there, they're really being hired as hostesses. And they were given a dress code that included the type of underwear they were supposed to wear. And this was all about lecherous old men, you know, using women as their playthings. And it was absolutely scandalous. When this came out, lots of charities decided to cut their ties with it, refuse donations, not accept donations that were due to them. I would ask the question as well is like, why didn't they know this was going on? Because it had been happening for 20 plus years. So there should have been some red flags, but that's by the by. But some charities said that they were going to return donations that had already been given historically by the President's Club. Now, on the face of it, this probably seems like the right thing to do. Like you're saying, is there any justification for returning this because it had come from a despicable source with despicable behaviour? But also, I said earlier about you've got to judge up whether doing the right thing now actually does cause harm. So those historic donations had been spent. So the only way you could return money from a charity that has been spent, provided the Charity Commission gave you permission for this ex-gratia payment, would be either to take it out of your reserves, which is potentially harmful to your charity, to do more fundraising. So in effect, come to other donors and say, can you give us some money so we can pay it back to these horrible, sexist, misogynistic people? And that's not the best fundraising ask you can make. Or to cut budgets, which means cutting services, so it harms beneficiaries, or it means cutting staff. And what you are doing there is that You are asking people who are not morally culpable of any blame or any wrongdoing, and that's donors, its beneficiaries and its staff, to pay the price for the wrongdoing of others. And that, I think, is is fundamentally unjust. So just to be seen to be doing the right thing because you feel it's the right thing to do, other people are suffering harm because of that. So I think with historic donations like that, there's got to be very, very good reasons where you can justify it's in the interest of the charity And that may may be in the interest of your staff and your beneficiaries to return a donation because on the face of it appears to be the right thing to do um, when it might cause harm. Now, in the President's Club case, one charity said it was going to do this. They they came out the next day, the day after all this hit, they said, we're going to return our historic donations. And after there was a bit of an outcry from their donors and from the public, they reversed that decision. So when the COF guidance, it talks about having evidence about why to be able to refuse a donation. It doesn't talk about return, but it talks about, about refusal of a donation. That kind of evidence can come from consulting your donors. And you, you also said about how to ensure beneficiaries at the forefront of our decision-making. Well, in cases like this, we can ask them, we can survey them, we can use public engagement techniques to have a shadow board of beneficiaries that inform our ethical decision-making. And I really think across the whole of fundraising ethics, beneficiaries do need to be brought much more into the um, ethical operation of charities so that they can use their voice and agency in the decisions charities make. From this conversation that we've just had, it seems to me that ethical fundraising or some of these ethical questions are actually a lot more complex than they might seem. All ethics is more complex than it seems. Exactly. So even the idea of doing something that seems right from an outsider's perspective, when considered internally, actually might turn out not to be the best thing for the organization or for the beneficiaries. So when considering these things, it might be useful, perhaps you spoke earlier about having ethical literacy within an organization, it might be useful to have 
these skills internally, but how do you advise people to start building such a thing as ethical literacy within their organization? What would be the first steps? I think the first step in this is an understanding that doing the right thing in fundraising, as it is in any profession, is just not what you feel to be right. It's not just about gut feel and subjective feel. All professions have their systems of professional ethics, whereby acting as a professional may not be the same thing as acting ethically as a human being. So, for instance, some professions can ethically do things that a human being wouldn't do. You know, a tax inspector can come along and deprive you of your liberty. A customs officer can can deprive you of your liberty if you're not paying your taxes or you're smuggling. Average human beings can't come along and lock somebody up if they aren't doing what they feel is to be right by them. So, by the same way, fundraisers and your ethical guidance policies and your whole ethics may suggest that there are certain things that you can do that you wouldn't necessarily feel like doing as a human being in terms of gift acceptance and refusal you might have a particular aversion to working with tobacco companies for example because you've got a history of cancer in your charity and tobacco might have left its mark on that but that doesn't mean that if you work in a charity where you've been offered a partnership with a tobacco company and there's no conflict of mission and it wouldn't harm your beneficiaries and it wouldn't damage your reputation you shouldn't necessarily put your personal set of values, override them onto your professional ethics if your professional ethics and policies are suggesting you should accept the donation if you personally don't feel you should do. So I think that is a good point in starting on the ethical literacy. Unconflate the idea of professional ethics and subjective personal values. Right. And then after that, ethics in fundraising is kind of in its infancy. There's not a huge lot written about it, which means that you can probably get through the literature in an afternoon or at least a day. So. I'd suggest delving in, sorry, I sound like I'm blowing my own trumpet here, but Regar has done a lot of work on that. You can find it on our website. And there was also a special issue of the Journal of Philanthropy and Marketing on ethics, which I co-edited, and we've got a lot of articles in there. So a lot of those articles are written for an academic audience, but there is plenty out there on ethics. And I think the thing about ethics is it's theory and it's book work, so you learn it by reading. So get stuck into some of the literature. Right. And what's your take about companies that are harmful to society? We've talked about tobacco companies several times already, but the other obvious example is fossil fuel companies, um, which have been known to make large donations, particularly to cultural and arts organizations. Those are companies that can be perceived to be harming society as a whole. How should charities treat those kind of companies and and who actually decides what is harmful to society? Really interesting question there. So the current set of guidance and ethics and regulation that you have requires you to accept donations that are in the best interest of your charity and not take them donations if they harm your charity. It doesn't say anything about whether it's harmful or or beneficial to other charities or society at large. And And the climate emergency is the great example of this. And COF recently said they were going to start working on some guidance to help charities make those decisions about whether you could turn down donations from fossil fuel companies. I don't think that guidance was all that helpful as it turned out, but we're in the infancy of trying to deal with this now. How we, as a sector, respond to a societal emergency, whereas our individual responsibilities are to our beneficiaries. 
on the face of it, it probably looks like none of us should be working with fossil fuel companies. And there was that example only just recently about Natural History Museum and the, the energy company that sponsored their photography competition. Mm-hmm. And apparently it might have had a gagging clause in there. Now, Natural History Museum has .ac.uk after it. It's an academic institution and charities and academic institutions don't give away their academic freedom lightly. So in a case, you know, such as that, I don't think, you know, selling some of the family silver just to get a photography exhibition sponsored isn't, you know, a sensible thing to be doing. But if a fossil fuel company is sponsoring something that has a lot more impact on your beneficiaries than just a photography exhibition, and you went and asked those beneficiaries what you think they should do, they might tell you to accept the donation. So you may have your beneficiaries suggesting that the, that the partnership should be accepted, but the view that this is a wider emergency and a wider matter that needs a different approach to that. So I don't know what to do about that at the moment. You know, ethics doesn't give you necessarily straightforward right and wrong answers. It's a process of trying to unpick what the ethical issues are. But it is something that I think we do need to make a lot more progress on than we are currently doing. Yes, and it does sound like a lot more work is to be done. But in the meantime, on a final note, what kind of advice or tips do you have to offer to charities considering either whether or not to take a donation or whether they should repay a historical donation? What pearl of wisdom do you have for them? I would say check your gift acceptance policy and run through that. And then if you don't have one, then you need to go and get one. So the first tip is that is run it through your gift acceptance policy. And if you say, oh my God, we don't have one, then you need to go and make one. I'd say make sure you're factoring in all stakeholders and so what is the effect on your beneficiaries as well? And I would just reiterate, just in case anyone's thinking, I'm trying to justify accepting any donation. I'm not, you know, the means doesn't justify the ends. It's not just because it does, you know, it does yeah. good, some good, it outweighs any harm. But ethics is a balancing act. So balance up the harm that you might do versus the good that you might do. So make sure you're including beneficiaries in that. Realise it's not just about subjective judgment, but also if you do do a gift acceptance policy, and you run it through that and you, you try and make an ethical decision, you can not do what the policy tells you to do or suggest that you do. That's just a policy with some words on a piece of paper. You're the person making the decision at the end of the day. And as long as you can justify coherently and consistently the reasons that you've made the decision, and you can say, well, under normal circumstances, we would refuse or we would accept this donation. But on this case, we've decided to do something else. And here are the reasons why. And anyone else can go, okay, that makes sense. That's a good argument. Then I think it's okay to do that. Oh, and the other thing I would say in return about potential historic donations is, you know, don't wait for them to be called out. Go looking for them. The mistake that the charities with the President's Club dinner made, there were plenty of red flags to say that this was some dodgy goings on and they should have acted on them. So, you know, look for them preempt them and come up with the solutions don't wait to be caught with your pants down right that is great advice ian mcquillan from the fundraising think tank regari thank you very much for joining us thank you now it's time for the good news bulletin featuring everything from the positive to the downright strange stories we've spotted in the sector what have you got for us this week lucinda This week, I have news of a moonlit owl flying display being put on this month by the Hawk Conservancy Trust. The charity is hoping to help visitors escape the January blues through its fundraising event called the Winter Woodland Lights Experience, which is running for about half of January. 
The trail through the Trust's grounds near Andover will feature lights and sounds set against the backdrop of nature and aims to educate visitors about conservation issues affecting birds of prey and their habitats. That's very nice. Yeah, I would love to go to that. Anyway, uh, next week we'll be back with a new edition of Charity Changed My Life, which features stories of people whose lives have been transformed for the better thanks to the work of charities. That's it for this week. We'll be joined next week by Lord Gus O'Donnell, former Cabinet Secretary and the Chair of Trustees at Pro Bono Economics. So if you've enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the Third Sector Podcast to be the first to know about it. But for now, I'm Alina Martin. And I'm Lucinda Rouse. Thank you to our guest, Ian McQuillan, and our producer, Nav Pal. Join us again next week.